Welcome back to another episode of B-Hall Radio. We've got a special episode tonight. This is a surprise. Jordan doesn't know what's happening right now. He thinks this is a Coach Word update, but we're doing Jordan's episode tonight. So we're at episode 57. We got a guest host, Mike Gorman, knows Jordan very well. We have a vivid group text together. This is Chase (laughs) Greatness. Shout out to the group text. But Jordan, any words before we before we do your formal introduction? I'm uh, not prepared, but we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, this is the epitome, though, of the show. Let's do it live. It, it's it's this is this is what it's all about. So, for listeners out there who don't know Jordan's background, Jordan's a 2013 graduate, two-time NCAA qual- qualifier. Recently, got out of the, got out of the army, moved back to Ohio, Cincinnati native. Now, welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks, guys. Dude, this is such a this is so hard to keep it a surprise, <laughs> especially like the last five minutes. I am surprised. So it happens. Since so you guys got drawn up, I don't I don't know what's better right now. The throwback sweater with the with the fuzzy army A. Those were rare back in the day. Or or the retro hair, the flow master, the, the lettuce coming out the back. That's some like <laughs> Blacksboro level pearls job too believe it or not believe it or not this is a fresh trim job and this sweatshirt was a, a gift from mr hall shout out mr hall <laughs> i did not take it he said i could have it so uh appreciate that does it have the little zipper up in here is that the one it does so yeah, that jacket that was the official first cool thing that i think army wrestling's ever had we got yeah, that yeah, my uh, yuck year and right the uh, iPod cord, <laughs> small enough that you could fit maybe an iPod Mini in it. That's about it. <laughs> so Chuck said, "Hey, at the end of the season, everybody was giving them back." And I mean, you're cutting weight in those things all year. So Nobody great. turned them in. He brought everybody into the, like, oh, like everybody who got one. He brought them all into the, like a room. He was like, "Hey, man, you uh, you got to turn in your sweatshirts." <laughs> and they yeah, all turned in, but there's there those back. Money's tight, guys. We're gonna need those back. Just give them a good cleaning. Mr. Hall, clean them up. <laughs> don't feel as bad now that they got the rebrand. They don't need them no more, so it's all good. <laughs> well, enough about enough about the sweatshirts. Let's let's dive into Jordan. Let's do it. All right. So Where do we want to start? let well let's start let's start current life. You know what are you, what are you doing right now? What's the last couple of weeks been? You know. You've, you've moved away from the podcast a little bit. You know, if, if the listeners have seen a, a, some editing issues, um, that's because I've been doing uh, all of that as of, as of late. Um, but Jordan taught me it. So it's kind of still his fault both ways. But so what have you been up to? Well, the grasshopper never is as good as the sensei. So <laughs> we'll get you there. Um, I've been busy, man. It's been a crazy year for me getting out of the army, obviously, and moving. I got two young kids and a wife, so that keeps me obviously very busy. Um, my youngest daughter has got some some medical conditions that require her to get some surgeries on a cleft lip, which um, you know has just kept us busy. She's got a lot of appointments she got to go to and stuff like that, so we're dealing with that. Um, but a lot of things to be thankful for a lot of blessings got a great church we're part of here I live down the road from my parents which I couldn't be more excited about and um, I work in supply chain at Kroger now so quickly becoming a grocery guy <laughs> I know too many obscure facts about the foods in the uh in the produce aisle so it's all good are you involved in any of the um someone was like either sent me an article or told me something like how like grocery stores are they're placed like things are placed in certain spots like all the convenient things that you need are like in the back corner so you have to go through the whole rest of the grocery store are you involved in any of that scheme no that's definitely a scheme but i'm not a part of it so i um i'm working on a new kroger initiative where we're doing home delivery so you can have your huh new scheme okay new scheme yeah new scheme and uh, so if you want your groceries brought to your doorstep, we can make that happen now, which is picked by robots and an automated fulfillment center. So cutting edge stuff. Well, this is not a, uh, a Kroger sponsored uh, episode in case they, uh, you know, anybody is, is worried about that. They, they do not, <laughs> not fund us at all. 
that sounded really polished. Like you, you had pitched that to the boss like last week. It's fresh off the vine, came off the tongue, rolled off real nicely. Yeah, I've, I've rehearsed it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> how will it, how will it compete, compete with, uh, I, I've seen some videos of Amazon stores with like the whole checkout as you go. Obviously this is not, this is home delivery, but I'm assuming if you come up with this and Kroger starts to kill it, Amazon's gonna come and, and slash through some of that, the new scheming that the JT scheme. How, how do you see Amazon competing with your new, with your new idea? Well, Amazon's got the partnership with Whole Foods already, so mm. you can get groceries through Whole Foods, but everything you order through them is picked at an actual local store and shipped to you. So it's not as fresh as the Kroger. We, uh, we got that seal, that fresh seal on there. That's our, uh, that's our promise. So the, the key is, is we're saying we're going to get it to you faster and it's going to be inside of a warehouse you know, for a minimal amount of time, less than everybody else. So you should get a fresher product, more accurately get what you want. So if you order a hundred items, we're going to get you 98. That's our promise. Mm. You're taking farm to table to the next level. Something the like that. The Kroger way. F2T. F2T. <laughs> All right. So now we know you're up to now. Let's, we're going to take it back. So we've had a lot of brothers on here in the past. Duos, ones we've had your brother on we kind of did a brother episode with with him i tried to surprise you guys with randall uh yep. it didn't work as, as great as this surprise but i think you know a lot of listeners know your know your story of you know going to west point did you ever think about going anywhere else you know your brother's there two years ahead of you you know what other schools were you looking at what was what was the recruiting process for you yeah, I mean, it was difficult, right? Because you want to uh, you want to be with your family. You want to continue the traditions and the things that you've been doing for many, many years, right? And so we were fortunate to be a part of a really great high school program. So, you know, wrestling together was something our family did, something that we wanted to continue to do, but I wasn't sold on the military piece of, of West Point. So I was definitely exploring every option that I had. Um, you know, I, my senior year didn't check out how I necessarily thought it would, not that it mattered anyway. I'd already kind of made my decision before then, but uh, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? I think every every kid thinks that if you've had some level of success that college coaches are going to come knocking down your door, and that's just not necessarily the case uh, for everybody. So, um, you know, I was exploring even some D2 options. Uh, Coach Tim Durnlin was somebody that uh, had done a lot of camps at um, – our high school, he was a great Christian man, and he was coaching at Ashland University in Ohio. So I visited there and, you know, had talked to other coaches and some different things, but at the end of the day, right, I mean, how can you pass up on an opportunity like West Point? It's uh, best education you can get, leadership experience. You know, you're going to have a, a great job afterwards with great experience being an Army lieutenant. So all the things that we all know now, right, but you don't know those things when you're 18 years old. And so um, – Definitely my dad kind of guided me in the direction that was probably best for me. Um, but yeah, it was definitely not something I was sold of, sold on even up to probably the, even the first two years. Um, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I kind of took the whole experience as I can go for the first two years. And if it's something that I want to reevaluate at that point, then I have the opportunity to do so. Um, I mean, looking back, obviously, I made the best choice going and staying, and I would tell that to any kid, obviously. But I think everybody's got to make that decision for themselves, right, based on their individual circumstances and their family dynamic and all the different things that they want for their life, not just during their college experience, but, but post-college, right? So it was a great choice for me. It was a, a hard choice, but I'm thankful that I made it. Do you think you're, 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 you've been close with your older brother, Casey, for your entire lives, especially I think yeah. wrestling brings brothers even closer together than, you know, if you played different sports or whatever. Uh, do you remember how, what you were like, what you were thinking when you, when he found out that he was going to go, like when, when West Point first came into the household where you, you know, you're still years away from getting recruited there, but you remember your initial impression from that perspective, the, the younger brother perspective? 
Yeah, vaguely. I think my dad told a story when he was on whatever episode that was, but <clears throat> my brother went out for the camp and I think we did like a, we went up and just checked it out on our own as a family and did like a New York City trip. And I was like, dude, <laughs> that's crazy. You don't want to do that. Um, I think we've come a long way in the way that we market our program and the things that we, uh, you know, how we advertise ourselves and not just from a wrestling perspective, right. But the opportunity that is West Point and afterwards. Um, and obviously at that point in time was like relatively close to nine 11 and all the things were going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. So as a young kid, you don't really know any different than what the movies and TV shows you. So you're just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my initial reaction when Casey went there was like, all right, we'll see how this goes, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, the, they, um, and it may have not impacted at all, but, you know, the 2000, uh, 2008, 2009 season, they got, had a really, really good EIWA. I think they took 30 EIWAs. It was the best they had done before, kind of like the new era. Um, that was, you know, Casey's senior year. He's coming to West Point. You know, did you think about, wow, this program's on the up and up? Like, did that? Were you paying attention to that at all? Or There was two things that I, I remember. One, I was obviously there for all the different marquee moments of my brother's first two years, right? So I remember our day, and I remember watching the parade, and I remember watching just uh, him talk to Dean Geyer, who was a Cincinnati native, man of Muller, shout out Dean. And um, they were talking all this army lingo and as an eight, you know, a 16 year old kid, I, I just thought it was cool. Right. They were probably spouting off stuff from their knowledge book or something like a bunch of nerds, but I thought they were cool. Right. And so uh, I remember seeing how close he was to his teammates and I was like, all right, this is neat. Right. And I remember going the next year during the season that you're referencing to the IWAs and watching all those guys qualify and compete and also sitting in the stands next to them and just kind of, inundating myself with the team from afar and seeing how close everybody was to each other as brothers was definitely something that was super attractive. Solid, solid stuff. So moving into kind of, and I, I just kind of thought about this, like you had a really bad injury, you know, kind of messed up your senior high school. Do you feel like that helped you kind of, have kind of a jumpstart year in your plebe year doing well they're more hungry um or you think maybe i was just you know just kind of your transition i don't know it depends who you ask i, I didn't think anything of it but at the time my dad would probably or my high school coach would say something different say i had something to prove right or I had a chip on my shoulder and i was trying to kind of maybe make up for some uh, lost goals that i had from being injured uh, going through the postseason my senior year, but I, I wasn't really looking at it that way. I, I, I was looking at my plea year as I have nothing to lose. No one knows who I am. I got a lot of tricky things that I do in my wrestling style, and so if they are not aware of that, then it's going to be very difficult to uh, to compete with me, and so I was just having fun, right? I was leaving post and going to tournaments with my friends and having a good time. So I don't know if it had any impact. Maybe it did subconsciously, but I wasn't actively thinking about it. Gotcha. When you talk about a lot, you're having a lot of fun at tournaments. Is that when, uh, when, when you caught Dick Starks in the lie and you had told me at 24 hours? <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. So uh, I was already hurt at that point. So I got hurt my senior year of high school and I got hurt my plebe year um, at the Southern Scuffle. I actually had the same injury that Thomas Gilman had. So side note, don't know how that dude competed in the Olympics with a Liz Farm fracture. Like seems literally impossible. Um, Cause that, that thing plagued me for a year and I still have, you know, issues with it. But uh, they took me to the IWA tournament, which I think was a great call by coach Barbie at the time. He wanted me to be able to see the tournament and just be a part of the team still. Cause I was definitely down and out and feeling sorry for myself. And so, getting to go watch everybody and definitely my brother and see my parents that weekend was great for me. But yeah, we stopped at Subway on post on the way out and um, Dick got a bottle of like Sprite or Powerade, whatever it was, right? And he drank it all while we were at the restaurant and he filled it back up in the fountain machine. And it could have been waterfall, I don't know, right? But we got on the bus and he was the 
regimental sergeant major of the Corps cadets. And so I was just kind of bruising him, giving him a hard time. And I'm like, hey, uh, Sergeant Major Starks, did you pay for that refill? Or was that a single bottle that you purchased? He's like, uh, yeah, I, I filled it up. I'm like, hmm. Looked at my watch, looked at Coach Wilman. I said, that's an honor violation. You got 24 hours. <laughs> and uh, every like four or five hours, I'm like, 18 hours, Richard, from the back of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and he got pretty upset thankfully everybody else thought it was pretty funny but uh dick if you hear this i'm sorry because you were probably cutting weight and i was a immature 18 year old so <laughs> <laughs> that could really backfire like you hear those stories um where like you're playing a joke but some other kid on the team could have been like really disconstrued it yeah and then like turn and like turned it in and then dick right. been like hey it was just water and then it would have been, been a whole the whole investigation I'm glad it didn't come to that. Now, <laughs> funny story. Mike, you got a question? No, I was just thinking about uh, Biro. You probably know the story. I don't. I don't know it. But what was the mouth like? The desert. When you said Richard Starks, I just thought about the mouth was like the desert. Was some? Was it related to that? I know he was like cutting hard to get to 97, but I couldn't remember if that was a different tournament or, or what that was. I thought that was Kyler. Sounds like something Kyler would say. No, I think it was like, oh, wait, I think some, oh, no, I think uh, he was complaining about cutting weight to like Whit yeah. Dunning or somebody who was cutting like really hard. And like, I mean, maybe you're cutting weight, but you're a 97 pounder. Like, you know, you're not really like, maybe you are really, like a lot of people are, like some 97 pounders are cutting weight, but like, I don't, I don't think he was really cutting that hard where, you know, there, you have the 25 pounders out there, you know, you had like Nando coming down from like 155 to make 125 and never complaining uh, once about it. And then it got, I, I don't remember the exact scenario of it, but I remember somebody being really upset that uh, someone else was upset about um, their mouth being yeah. <laughs> so thirsty. <laughs> Nothing like the heavyweights and the big guys trying to act like they're struggling. So moving into your yuck year, and as I was going through this, so I'm looking through all these results. I'm going through like EIWAs all your years, NCAAs. And I'm like, this was like a phase in my life where I didn't follow wrestling much at all. And I'm looking through this and I'm like, wait, this guy won EIWAs at your weight? I'm like, I don't even know who this name is, which is kind of like, it really surprises me now, but uh, I really had to do my homework on this because yeah. I did not know a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff. I saw, you know, I watched your match against Ben Cash from Iowa State, you know? Uh, <laughs> Iowa State could have a guy like that out in their starting lineup, but uh, they did. Shots fired at uh, Cash. but um, It wasn't that he was bad. I was just that much better. <laughs> you did you and i was watching because i didn't know all that you've talked a lot about your tricks and like things you do and i was like okay i want to watch this match because he pinned him and see like where like where your trickery was there's some trickery but I, you did hit a high crotch in the match which i didn't that was, know solid, that was a good solid match for me that was a fundamental match there's some others out there right that uh i fall to pieces which is most of the ones on the internet <laughs> so. <laughs> So let's talk about your rise uh, a little bit, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a yearling, you come in, you, you have a really solid season. I think you won like 27 matches, you know, your yuck year. Um, was it just like, you know, coming back from the, you know, maybe you're, cause you only wrestled the first half of your plebe year. The trickery was still there because a lot of people didn't know who you were. And that's like, that's why you were successful, you know, or, you know, I'll, I'll let you talk and let me shut up. I'd say two things. I mean, one, when I got injured, like I said, it was a really significant injury and I ended up, I wasn't able to do anything the entire summer. Um, I didn't go to Buckner with my classmates. I went home for the entire summer, which was, uh, could have been bad, but it ended up being good. Um, they wanted to send me home for a semester and have me be a December grad. But like I, I said before, I wasn't you know, kind of sold on the experience yet. My dad told Coach Barbie, if you send the kid home, he's probably not going to come back. Um, so I kind of powered through, and it was a really difficult semester for me, just academically and emotionally and all those different things. I was on some significant painkillers, and 
and all that. So I ended up going home. I was super out of shape. I'd been on crutches for like seven months and done nothing but eat Cheez-Its and drink two 24 ounce Mountain Dews per day for the last six months. So the state of my body was not great. So I ended up just basically working out and living at home all summer, um, rehabbing my, my foot and my ankle. And I came back in pretty good shape. So that was good for me from a, not just a physical standpoint, but like a mental standpoint too. And then, um, I don't know. I mean, I had a good season. Uh, there's still had a lot to learn. That was Coach Heskett's first year. Um, he was trying to teach me some new fundamentals and some different things, which uh, was definitely slow to learn because I'm uh, probably a little bit on the stubborn side when it came to my, my wrestling style. But there were some things that I definitely incorporated into my game that were beneficial to me. And having Coach Mischief there was great. A uh, good training partner, good encourager, and just like, man, he'd be, he'd beat the crap out of us for sure. So that was, those were all positive things that probably attributed to me having a better season than my plea beer. Um, and then obviously once you get some momentum going, your confidence is rolling and you're feeling good, then you just, you just got to ride that high. So, I mean, yeah, I, I felt good about the season. It was my best DIWA finish. Um, maybe not necessarily the toughest bracket as some of the other years, but uh, I mean, I felt good about it. I had some good wins against some good, good opponents. And overall, it was a good year. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that probably hurt me in my next two years is to your point. Yeah. There was some unique, th unique things that I did that people didn't know about my first two years. Cause who's scouting some non-state champ from army West point at the time, probably not very many people. Now we got nothing but, you know, murders row all the way up and down the lineup. So they're going to know who people are, but they didn't know who I was at the time. Right. Um, and once they were able to maybe scout some of those things that I did, you right, my junior, senior, no one's going to pick bottom. Right. It's just a small example. So, um, yeah, I was kind of unknown and off the scene my yuck year for sure. I remember that your, your yuck year, you were on fire. I don't remember a particular match, but there was a moment where I think we just sort of looked back and we're like, man, I don't think JT's lost in like a couple of weeks. Do you have a moment where you were like, no, that this was the turning point where maybe you had, you know, taken off some of the dust of missing plebe year. And then, you know, the chip is off your shoulder from, from uh, Troy Christian state title run. And, and you were just like, you know what, this is, this is, this is who I am now. This is the, the future this is uh, I've arrived and I belong here kind of thing. Um, I mean, I think I always felt that way, but I got a lot of confidence at the Southern scuffle. I wrestled several big 10 opponents. I think at one point I wrestled three Minnesota guys in a row. So Jerry Robinson was not very happy at the time, right? Getting three L's in a row. One of which was one of the Thorn brothers, which he was ranked at the time. So that was a good win. I think I had one or two other kind of, ranked type wins at that tournament so definitely that was a big confidence builder um but yeah I mean I had a good season I was I was feeling good I was also managing my weight really well which was definitely not something I did as well in my my final two years but I think I was right in that sweet spot of where my size was and my ability to manage it versus I grew a little bit my last two years and just didn't do it as well so kind of, you know, after your, your yuck year, before you started your Cal year, how, how much did the decision weigh on you as it got closer to the first day of school to like, was I going to do that? Or as it got closer, it was kind of like, it subsided a little bit. Are you talking in reference to just like making my decision to affirm and stay at West Point basically? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely remember having conversations with, my dad and my mom and probably even my brother, but definitely my dad, right? He's somebody I always go to for advice. And so because I missed Buckner as a, as a yuck with all my classmates, I had to go back as a, as a yearling and do it as a squad leader, which would count as both my leadership, you know, detail in addition to, um, you know, going through Buckner as a, as a rising yearling. So, I ended up being out there for like, I don't even remember how long they did things different back then than they do now. I think we were, we were out there for a really long time and 
Jimmy Rafferty gets another shout out as he does every episode, but he was uh, doing that detail as well. And he was the barracks, you know, building right up the hill from me. So we got a lot of quality time together and did some training sessions in between, you know, like lifting and stuff in between. And he was even teaching me some army stuff too. I mean, I remember doing the land app course, God bless my soul. I was not good at it. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, I will follow you tomorrow. I already, you know, passed or whatever. I'll follow you and just see how you do. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Thinking like, you know, my teammate, my homeboy is going to help me out, make sure I get through this. No, I'd be like getting ready to walk off the cliff. And Jimmy's like, you sure you want to go that way, bud? And I'm like, um, yeah, this is the direct path, bro. And he's like, okay, Ranger. And I would go down the, you know, I'd go down the mountainside just like a big, big dummy. But I had a good experience, uh, you know, being in a leadership air quotes position and, and going through some of that army training. I remember the, the officer that was in charge of my company was a Green Beret uh, major and he was super intense. So he had a very like wrestling type mentality. And I liked all those things, right? So those helped me make make my decision a couple months later when it was time to raise the right hand and do the affirmation. I, I felt good about it, that it was a good decision. And it was something I would not only enjoy, but be good at. Did the coaching change have any impact on, on, on you? Like when you obviously Barbie recruited you and then um, Heskett came in, what was your thought? You mentioned a couple of things about wrestling style and adding things to the kit bag from the affirmation side or just staying at training under, under Heskett, did that play any role in that? Not my decision to stay or had I chosen to go, I don't think it had an impact there, but from a wrestling standpoint, I was stoked. Right. I remember all of us kind of being on pins and needles when we were trying to figure out who the next coach was going to be. And coach Heskett was announced. I was like, all right, Ohio native, you know, used to coach at Ohio state. I actually, probably was one of his first, if not first interaction with a West Point cadet. Um, my dad had had some contact with the Ohio State coaching staff from just living in the area and, and being a prominent high school coach. And so he, he reached out and was like, hey, you know, like Jordan's is home this whole summer because I was off my foot injury. And so I went up to Ohio State one uh, afternoon. So hopefully this isn't a NCAA violation, but I think we're outside of the yeah we're outside of the statute of limitations at this point right it's 2021 but uh me and me and coach Eskett had a workout and um I was super out of shape still back then so I think he was like what in the world is going on with this kid you know um but I remember him just being like super fired up talking about some of his vision already and things that he wanted to do and asking me some preliminary questions about what it's like to be a cadet and what are the, some of the challenges and experiences and the things that we go through. And so man, I, I wasn't, I was really fired up to go back to school. So those things in that sense, I guess to your question, Mike, yeah, it was, it, it made going back as a yearling exciting where probably I wouldn't have been as excited. So moving into your Cal year, you know, you kind of, you come into your groove. I think you had a 30 win season. You know, threw, to, you threw together a few wins and NCAAs, you know, um, talk about your Cal year, maybe some of the struggles, cutting weight. Um, I know, you know, kind of when I was thinking about this episode and kind of topics we talk about, I know I, I figured, you know, cutting weight would be um, like a big-ish topic because, you know, nowadays people don't, and people are just a lot healthier with nutrition and how they go about cutting weight and don't, you know, frankly, just don't cut as much. Um you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of that adversity and kind of leading into your junior year. Yeah. I mean, as uh, my first two years, my brother was 141, I was 133. So my option to move up from a standpoint of I couldn't beat him uh, was limited. And two, I wouldn't want to do that. Right. So I think uh, the next two years, it was like, hey, how can I do this and still remain successful? Um, you know, being a NCAA qualifier as a sophomore was a big motivator for like, Hey, you know, getting there is step one, uh, winning matches and getting on the podium is the next step. 
And so how do I do that? You know, some of the things that I got to do is obviously get better at wrestling, but I got to get better at how I manage this weight thing. So I, I did all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, I don't know how far we want to go into it. And I'm not necessarily, I know if I want to, right. They're not great stories. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would, I would move up at some point, but I guess 2020 hindsight is, is kind of at play because well, you could say, Hey, you were an NCAA qualifier as a junior too at 133. So why, why make changes your senior year? But I think from a mental standpoint, right. I was pretty burnt out from just the process that was cutting weight. I probably didn't do it. I know I didn't do it the healthiest way or the most methodical way or planned out way. In my mind, I did. Um, but knowing what we all know now, I think, um, yeah, definitely moving up would have been better for me. There's a team aspect to it that it was best for the team for me to remain there. Um, I know all about being a team player too. So, you know, can't sit here and make excuses at this point. I had opportunities to make changes and do different things. And there was also resources at West Point that I didn't utilize to the, you know, fullest extent right there's dietitians there there's strength and conditioning coaches there's you know, all these additional resources that I, I didn't tap into so <clears throat> excuse me um yeah it was definitely a challenge um I, I i mean i'll just say one of the i guess stranger things or things people wouldn't know about i ended up being doing a vegan diet for the last two years um I had done some research and found that there was a lot of UFC fighters at the time that were doing that. They claimed that it opened up your sweat glands more and increased your metabolism, all these different things. So I did that. That was definitely a challenge. Uh, I basically never ate, ate the mess hall. I uh, would go up to the commissary every weekend. I had a small George Foreman in my room and a fridge. So sorry, attack officer. I had two appliances, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, cooking bean burgers and eating vegetable roll-ups and just anything that I could get my hands on and, and come creative with as far as food, a lot of fruits and vegetables, stuff like that. My junior year, I think it made a big impact. I mean, I, I felt very energetic. Um, I did a really good job managing it. My senior year, not as much. I still did it, but uh, not to not to the granular scale that I did, you know, my Cal year. So that was one thing I did that was pretty unique that probably people don't really know about and it was definitely a challenge as far as resourcing and logistics being a cadet and just being limited and what's available to you um but yeah I, I never missed weight I made it every time but uh came at the cost of dual meets with a one-hour turnaround you weren't going to get the same guy as a as a tournament with a two-hour turnaround and you know probably a buy or not as quality of opponent first round so that was kind of the story in my last two years, but. <laughs> do, you, do you remember any, uh, any one particular cut that just like broke you or made you like really second guess life, life decisions at that point that sticks out among the, the masses? I don't think there's any that stick out in particularly. I'd say every Sunday when I came back, I had this high hope that I would be like in the one forties <laughs> when I stepped scale and saw something that started with a one five and I'll leave the last digit off. Right. I would just almost rip the door off of a bathroom stall. Like I start crying and just hysterically going nuts. Right. Um, but I do remember in Columbia, I think this is the famed dual meet where my dad almost got kicked out for yelling at the ref on the mat. I was like a half a pound over or something, like an hour or four rands. I was freaking out because that's not how I did things. Um, getting the last pound off was hard. And I remember I like went up to Raph. I was like, I'm not going to make it, dude. Like, I'm flipping done this is it for me or something. I don't know. And something dramatic probably. And I remember Chandler was trying to cut like the last little bit too. And he's being a big pansy about it, but, uh, <laughs> shout out Chandler. Shout out Chandler. Right. He had a little Dick Stark syndrome to him. Acted like he was cutting weight, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Raph was like, all right, dude, well, like, let's do whatever we got to do to get you down. And he like drilled so hard with me for like 35 minutes in the Columbia wrestling room that I felt like I was going to black out any second, but 
I lost it. So uh, that was a good, that was good to know that I could do it if I had to, I guess. Right. Because I had, I had it in my mind that if I wasn't stepping into the building on weight, there was no way I was making it. <laughs> and you know what? That actually reminds me because I forgot about this. The worst night of my entire life, at least from like a wrestling cutting weight standpoint, was my junior year at NCAAs. I had Logan Steber in round two. And so I was like, I'm going to win this match. And so Trick Christian and Monroeville, to bring it all the way back to high school, was a rivalry. So Logan Steber's high school was Monroeville. They had four state champs. Him, his brother, Camp Tassari, and a guy named um, Chris Phillips. Studs, all of them four state, four-time state champs. They had one additional state qualifier my senior year who's, who was – they basically only needed him to win, like, a match. And mathematically, they could beat Trey Christian. Lo and behold, I had a broken ankle. Guess who I have first round? This fifth state qualifier, this kid. I beat him on a, I beat him on a broken ankle, and so we end up winning the state title by half a point. So now I got Logan Steber in the NCAA tournament, round two, Monroeville, Trey Christian, revitalized rivalry. I'm like, all right, I'm going to beat him, right? Obviously, you know, most people thought I was crazy, but I thought my best chance to do it was to be huge. And so I, I got big for round two. <laughs> and I got pinned in about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and, what happened? Uh, I got armbar with a, a legal armbar that they don't call on kids that, uh, you know. Oh, have, don't get me started. Have, have you know my buttons. You know that's my button. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's besides the point. I, I, for whatever reason, so Derek Stanley was 90, 197 pounder. So I said, I'll wait to start cutting weight until we get back to the hotel. Well, I waited two more hours until he finally wrestled and we were able to leave because there was probably certain things that were a part of my weight cutting regime that I didn't want other people to see. And so when I got back to the hotel, I was 144 pounds. I had to make 134 the next morning. It was 1030 at night. Wayne's were at 7 a.m. And I just remember putting my gear on and going and working out and getting five pounds off and then laying down for like 45 minutes, getting back up, losing another four. And then it was like 3.30 a.m. or something. I was still like three pounds over. I was like, all right, I'll set my alarm again and go back down like 5.30 or whatever, which was a couple hours before weigh-ins. I wasn't confident even at that point. And went back down there again. Like I had run out of clothes at this point to even like cut weight in. They were all damp. I think I was borrowing clothes from Derek that were like hanging down on my knees. And uh, just went down there like, I was super lonely and miserable and probably crying to be honest. So, <laughs> but I made it and I wrestled a great match the next, that first round and the second. Right day. off the scale too. Right off the scale, man. I, I wrestled awesome with about half hour sleep too. <laughs> Defied everything I thought as far as sports performance. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so coming into your, you know, your senior year and you kind of alluded to, you know, some of the things, you know, not as, not as successful of a senior year as your, as your junior year, um, you know, cutting weight had a, had a big part to do with that, but you know, anything else you can attribute, I don't, not to bid on a, on a, on a low note, but. Um, it's not a low note. I mean, that's just kind of, it is what it is. Right. So I think my head was just in a different area. Right. I was looking ahead to life a little bit. Um, you know, Looking forward to graduating, moving on with my life. Wasn't performing how I wanted to on the wrestling mat. Cutting weight sucked, but that was no different than years before. But when the performance, you know, when you, when you are performing on top of that, you really start to get discouraged, right? Like if you squeak out a couple wins, even if they're ugly and cutting weights bad, it's like, all right, I can live with that. But when things aren't going your way and you got that, man, that's, that's, that's when you find out who somebody really is. And so, you know, it was just a difficult year for me. Uh, it didn't end out I wanted. Took me a while to um, kind of cope with that. But at the end of the day, it's all perspective, right? Um, I'm still healthy to this day. I had a great career, accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to. Sure, there's some things that I didn't accomplish. Um, 
And if I could go back, I would do some things differently to potentially change the outcome, but that's no way to live. So I ain't gonna live like that. It's just wrestling. Well, then this knowledge, just knowledge bomb there. I like that. It's just wrestling. <laughs> it's just wrestling, man. It's just wrestling. Big part of my life, but it doesn't define who I am. So I'm not going to let it. So uh, for all the listeners out there too, um, you know, some of them may not know, Jordan and his brother both, you know, married their high school sweethearts, 2% club. Is that what it's called? 2% club? That's right. Um, what was it like going through the academy, you know, with a girl and girlfriend long distance? Um, did that play an impact in, you know, some, you know, some of your decisions or like, you know, probably it was great to go back for the summer and see her, you know, I spend more time with her, but um, talk about that a little bit. And then also, you know, kind of, you know, you graduate, you're able to get married, you know, start a family together. Um, there. Yeah. I mean, people told me I was crazy when I was 18 years old, but uh, so one of the reasons I didn't want to go to prep school, they offered to send me to, uh, you know, like a, a Blair or something like that. Some other preparatory school that wasn't use maps. Um, I also didn't know it was use maps was at the time. So, no, uh, no shade at use maps, but you don't know what you don't know. Uh, one of the things that I didn't want to do that for is because I didn't want to delay my life by an additional year. And, uh, you know, people probably would have called me crazy at the time. And I, I know definitely some uh, of my friends did that I probably shared these sentiments with at the time. But uh, I wanted to marry my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend. So I, I was certain of that even at, at that time. So obviously going through a long distance relationship was difficult. But, um, you know, more props to her than it is for me. I'm, I'm the one going through the grind and she has probably no concept at the time of what I'm going through and she's trying to do her best to be supportive. Right. But you don't know unless you have been to West Point and, and went through it. Right. What someone is going through. So, you know, my wife is the best. She was supportive for those four years. And obviously my eight years of, of service, she was as supportive as you could have asked for, followed me around to all my duty stations, went to all the different events, supporting me in any way that she could. So I couldn't be more thankful. Appreciate sharing that. <laughs> I follow all her stuff on social media. So I feel like I, I've met your wife and know your wife super well, when I probably don't even really know her at all. I just, same with your kids too. <laughs> yeah, my kids are who? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you got a question? Um, well, one thing I was thinking about was you kind of said on your senior year, you were like looking forward to the next step and, and maybe that, you know, like starting your life, whether it was getting married or uh, yeah. just becoming an officer and having like a normal lifestyle. Did you have any of that as you, as an officer, you seem to have done a, done a career, made a couple career decisions and then leaning forward into the civilian life as we know about the Kroger business, we know about the, but like take it back to the army side before the Kroger uh, brainchild came out. What did you do? Yeah, as well, an officer? I let, that, that 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 Kroger, I think I let too much, uh, <laughs> too much trade secrets out, but uh, we can edit that out. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, to your point, right. I was, I was careful and I kind of did, didn't say it in the sense of wrestling because I didn't want it to sound like an excuse or a distraction because I don't think that relationships necessarily have to be a distraction. I think that my relationship with my, at my time, my senior year would have been my fiance. I don't think it was a distraction at all. I think it was a benefit. So I was careful of that. I didn't mention that, but we kind of went there. So I think that it was healthy, right? And there's some other wrestlers that maybe would say different and some that would agree for me personally. Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously was looking forward to my future life with my wife and doing all those things, but it didn't mean that I was, wasn't focused on trying to accomplish my goals. So I was careful on how I wanted to say that as far as my army career. Yeah. I definitely made decisions that I could control to benefit my wife and my kids as much as I could. So my first duty station was in El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss, old Ironsides, but, um, that was difficult. It was a rough couple of years, just from a standpoint of we were 23 hours from all of our friends and family and kind of the Midwest region and plane tickets were very expensive. So it wasn't really something that we were doing at the time. 
um, basically saw everybody like at Christmas and maybe once in the summer. So that was difficult. As soon as I had the option to make some choices for, you know, my family and in regards to like where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do in my career, I made those. So I ended up doing a voluntary transfer out of the armor branch, armor branch to, to the adjutant general Corps. Oh, there we go. All the way. Defendant Baby. That's right. Only uh, two of two of all AG officers in Army wrestling history behind none other than the infamous Brian Rowan. <laughs> but you're the true OG because you went straight out, AG. I did. The commissioning ceremony, uh, Todd Messon, he was like, he did, he like, we had all the wrestlers up there. He's like, this is the first time we've ever had a guy go AG. I'm not sure how proud I am saying that out loud. And I was like, you shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were the first thoroughbred, but I was the upgraded uh, hybrid model. So, but yeah, I, that was a weird decision, right? Like I wanted to make a different choice for work-life balance. Um, people definitely had opinions at the time, you know, I was doing well in a Calvary organization, loved it in a lot of ways, but it was very intensive of time and to be successful. You had to dedicate a lot of time and knew the kids were on the horizon or at least something we wanted in our future. So I was like, Hey, I gotta make a different path here. Um, if I choose to stay in the army, I'm definitely want to do something different. Uh, and if I choose to get out then this will be a great, I guess, resume builder and have kind of two different experiences in the army. Um, so yeah, I made that choice that obviously took me in a totally different direction and did provide some additional time with my family. Um, and also got us, an opportunity to, to go to Savannah eventually where my brother was stationed, which was cool. So I got to spend a couple of years with the whole family unit uh, at one duty station, which was, which was pretty awesome. And just clarify for some of the people who don't know what like the other life could have been like you, yeah. obviously you saw what was coming down the long range training calendar, just throw out some more army stuff there. there you like, These next couple of years could look a certain way. And I'm not about that life. Just to kind of just briefly touch on like, what was that, that was like uh, in the negative light. And then how did you go about even making that transition for those who might be in a similar boat um, stuck in a three shot? Yeah. I mean, to clarify, right. Like I don't want it to come across as a negative connotation of any in particular branch or duty position or anything like that, because I really did enjoy my time. Um, I guess I'll caveat it all by saying uh, I was, an executive officer for two separate companies for a total of 27 months, which obviously is a very long time. Dang. Um, so that was, that burned me out. Right. I was like, man, I, I don't know if I want to be a company commander. That would have been kind of the next hurdle to jump. I feel like I've in some ways already done that. Um, you know, so if, if you don't have an aspiration to be, you know, a company commander or, at the time, I didn't know if I even wanted to be a major or if I wanted to even stay in the army. I didn't know, right? But I knew that kind of the career path that was in CAV specifically and the way that my evaluations were written and the path that I was being directed uh, down by another West Point grad who looked really favorably upon me. I mean, he's a lacrosse player. He's my squadron commander. He's an awesome leader. You know, he had some big aspirations for me, right? So he had kind of crafted my path to be a certain way and I was like I'm not sure that's necessarily what I want right and I had this conversation with him very openly candidly right but uh got to a decision point where it's like I either go to the maneuver captain's career course and that's the path I take and it's the path towards being a company commander and all these other things which I'm not sure about um or I tried to do something different and what are the options you have to do something different so if you want to kind of stay in the combat arms space, it's you're either as a senior lieutenant trying to go to the Ranger Regiment, you're either trying to go to, you know, like an SFAB maybe now that that's a thing, or you're trying to go to uh, uh, selection and, and do the whole SF route. And if you're not doing one of those, then you're kind of limited, right? So you're, you might have an option to do some kind of broadening assignment, but that's only going to be for a small period of time. So your only other option at that point, as far as an actual career path change, is to do a voluntary transfer program. And so they will tell you at the time which branches are essentially over strength and are letting lieutenants go 
to other branches and which branches are under strength and are in need of senior lieutenants, junior captains. And so, you know, at the time, if there was multiple choices, I don't know what I would have chosen, but at the time, my only choice was armor was out and AG was in. And so I was very uneasy about the decision, but I had some people say, hey, man, sounds like you're kind of unhappy with, you know, where you're at and the way things are going. And doesn't sound like that's your mind's really going to change. So why don't you try this? Worst case scenario, it's, you know, you feel the same way, but you know, at least you tried to, to control your own destiny and do something different. So after some prayer and a lot of mentorship from different people, that was the decision I made. And it ended up being a great one, right? I got a lot of different experiences, met a lot of great people. And I think from a transition period to civilian life, some of the things that I learned is from like an organizational leadership standpoint and just different things that are not like tactical uh, benefited me. So. riveting riveting stuff right there with talking the v-tip process but uh mike and i were talking I gotta know it. no i know i was no I'm, I'm making a joke because mike and i were talking before this like hey like it's great to hear everybody's stories but like what do people not necessarily what do they want to know but how can they take something away from this and i feel like we'll you know rarely talk about the v-tip process and there's definitely some young lieutenants or you know guys getting ready to graduate in the next year you know where like they're not enjoying what they're doing after two or three years. And they think, Hey, I'm, I, I like the army, but I'm stuck in this forever. Um, yes. You know, or, or just, you know, how to navigate, you know, a, you know, the circumstance you were in with, you know, squadron commander, a great leader that you, you know, you know, like and respect and, you know, all those things, having those conversations. I mean, a lot of, there's probably a lot of, you know, officers in your boat who don't have those conversations because they just can't face the man to have that. So they just keep doing their job. Yeah, I mean, I'll plug the AG Corps. I, I loved it, right? Like, I know that it's got some uh, connotations to it, but if you're a physically fit and mentally tough person and you want to go break the, you know, the norm and what everybody expects that you're going to be, go be an AG officer. It's awesome. You get a lot of great experiences. There's a lot of great opportunities out there for you. And uh, if you want to go do some cool stuff, like Bero, you can get attached to some really cool units and, and do the same stuff, right? But you're just going to serve in a different type of capacity. So, AG all the way. AG all the way. <laughs> yeah, AG, it definitely gets a, a, lot, of, a lot of flack. But, um, you know, as long as you're a, a self-confident kind of uh, individual, you can, uh, you can take getting made fun of a little bit. I enjoy it as well. Yeah, if you, if you got a pair on you, like, man, I was making this three captains hold my pocket by week two. So it's all good. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we wrap this up, we're going to you know, shoot fire with uh, a bunch of JT type questions because I want to hear. Okay. So it's, you know, yuck year, cow year, you're cutting weight. What's like your go to jam? in the uh in the wrestling room what do you listen to on my personal ipod because i never got the ox cord because that was controlled by daniel j young and chandler smith my personal yeah, ipod would have been yeah. skrillex all the way <laughs> what was uh what was what was what's the what's the one the food that i'm sorry what's the one food that during all your weight cutting so stocked in your fridge when you got out of wrestling like post west point or like after season oh good both what's like the go-to postseason and then what was the thing because there was one thing i remember you talked about all the time you're like when i have my own house and my own fridge these will there'll never be a shortage of these Oh, I'm interested to hear what that is because I, I don't know. Uh, I'm less of a food Uncrustable. person. It. Okay, those are good. I'm, you know, those are good. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I haven't had one in a hot minute, but I may have to now. I'm less of a, a food fanatic at this point. It's all about the beverages. So, like, I love me an ice-cold Gatorade or kombucha or, like, just, like, a, something with some, some biz to it, like, I'm all about that. And even at the time, that was that was a big thing. There was a Gatorade, what was it called? Gatorade Recovery, I think it had protein in it. It had a weird chalky taste to it, but I love the way it tasted in a 
injury wrapped ice bag with the uh, small cube dice. It tasted real nice. <laughs> Wait, so that's one thing we didn't dive into. Um, listeners don't know you, you're always drinking kombucha. How do you brew it? Like, how did you get into that? Uh, let's hear the background. I don't even, I don't remember. I just, you're always like brewing kombucha and we never really talked about it. I'll make this like a 60 seconds or less because people probably don't care and I could totally go full nerd. So, uh, <laughs> despite my terrible grades in chemistry and in physics, I am quite the scientist when it comes to the kombucha. I just love the way it tasted. I got tired of paying $3 a bottle for 16 ounces of something that I could make myself. So I figured it out. You can learn anything on YouTube and on Google. And so, uh, yeah, basically you take sweet tea and you ferment it with a little organism called a SCOBY, which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. It eats away the sugar, slowly makes the sweet tea sour. And then at that point, you're ready to add whatever kind of flavorings you want. So let's just call it cherry juice. I'm making cherry kombucha. You cap it for a couple of days. The lack of oxygen creates CO2. You got yourself a nice, sweet, tart, fizzy drink. <laughs> Man, I love, I love that you do that. That's hilarious. And it's extremely good for you. It's, uh, it's got a bunch of probiotics and prebiotics and microbiomes that you know, help your gut health. How many different flavors do you like brew consistently? Do you have like a, is it just like what your, the flavor of the day is and like you just stay on one flavor for like a week or do you got like an assortment? No, 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 no. This is a, uh, this is approximately a 14 to 16 day process per batch. So uh, I do three gallons at a time. It takes 10 days during the fermentation process, 10 to 12 days, then an additional four to five days for the carbonation buildup. Uh, so I typically do three flavors per cycle. So right now I'm on the fall flavors. So I got like a maple flavor. I got a, you know, apple cider type flavor and all that good stuff. When so, are we going to see the, the Jordan kombucha on the shelves of Kroger? I don't know. <laughs> there is a strong calling for it in the uh, local Westchester area. People love it. So, and by people, I mean my mom. <laughs> How quickly do you go through three gallons? So do you start the process immediately after to like, to get the next oh, yeah. gallon? Like, so that like, how long, how long three gallons last? And does your, your kids and your wife consume all this too? Is it, you give it out as like Christmas gifts or these like party favors? Like what's the. Three gallons on continuous cycle now for close to two years. Um, I drink it, my wife drinks it, my child gets it in limited portions, but three gallons basically last us between cycles. So with a little additional, you know, safety stack for, for guests. So three gallons every two weeks or so. Yep. Okay. It's a lot of, it's a lot of kombucha right there. It's about a 12 ounce glass per day. I went to a market uh, this weekend and this lady was selling kombucha and I thought about you. I'm not like the biggest fan. I want to like it because for the health reasons, but I just don't enjoy it. So I just go and I have like the little tasters and I'm like, Ooh, and then I'll buy like a 16 ounce one and drink like three sips and then and throw it away. I, I think I have two full ones in my, in my fridge that I haven't drank for three months. Probably bad. Did, wait, kombucha go bad? Uh, store-bought stuff will last a while. Gotcha. There's a lot of preservatives I'm guessing. No, once it's capped, it's good to go. Oh, once it's capped. Okay. Yeah. We'll get you on some of my brew next time you're in town. <laughs> what's, what's the, like the real estate, how much space? Cause you use like brew kits for beer that take like a half a garage could be taken up with all the stuff. But I imagine the kombucha station is smaller. Is that, is that true? So uh, this is kind of weird, but we rented our bathroom in Savannah, Ikea. They, was it Ikea? Wayfair, <laughs> terrible company, not sponsored by them this episode. <laughs> they sent us three cabinets in a row that were cracked. So I took one of them, cut the top out, and that is, I lined it with, you know, like insulation. And that's where they brew in there. I got a little chicken coop lamp on the top, so it keeps it temperature regulated. It's a redneck operation, but it works great. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. You're going to take some pictures and send them this. We're, I'm going to tell in the um in the social media post um before we get off because we we got to hit on this topic uh jordan tom and crossfit 
a lot of listeners don't realize how big of a CrossFit fan you really are. Um, and I know you try to downplay it. What was the workout today? I know you're not going to work. I have no idea. I've, I've been slacking, man. What? I've been slacking. You know, Kroger's demanding a lot of me, so. I don't buy that. You got a pretty sweet, sweet uh, basement gym going on that you don't send any anybody, other than uh, when you put a, when I will put a workout out there and then you'll just try to show me up in the group text. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what the workout is. I like CrossFit. I think it's fun. I think it's a perfect, uh, you know, healthy activity for wrestlers as far as things we're good at and type of mentality we have, but. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm slacking, man. I gotta get back to it. You know what? Uh, combining all of the good things in the world, one CrossFit, two Army wrestling, three JT's kombucha, rendezvous in Madison, July 2022, Army wrestling reunion, JT kombucha, support Chandler Smith, winning the CrossFit Games. Hey, you know what? If we can get him to commit on air or social media to have <laughs> on his shorts, or you know what? Even better, tattoo it on his skin, right? That'd be great. Um, then I'll go live. <laughs> With hey, we, we, could have a, we could have a legit kombucha vendor store like at Madison. Yeah. Everybody would go. You could sell so much kombucha there just because everybody would go to the stand because it's sponsored and endorsed by Chandler. This yeah. is a legit idea. I want in. We got some. We got some. Get the group text Talk to as far as uh, production and bottling after this, but uh, we'll table that from there. Well, I'm sure by by then you will be able to automate this process, and you'll just have like a, a whole shelving unit of broken IKEA furniture with a robot <laughs> pulling kombucha flavors off the shelf and delivering mm -hmm. it. You know, like putting on like a little Roomba, a little uh, you know. Oh man, there's a lot of potential here. There is. It's uh, yeah. We'll just end up saying that my my kombucha career is it, it ended better than my my senior year of wrestling. So <laughs> life's good. Awesome. Well, before we head out, we ask every listener, what are who do you want to hear on the show going forward? Let's hear. Uh, let's get three recommendations. Oof, great question. I'm going to go ahead and, and to use an army term, take a nice 20-second tactical pause to think about it. Colonel Tom Cook, retired. That's a must. Tank hard. Tank hard. Um, I'd like to hear Coach Ryan Woman, maybe. If that can set up. Wait, somebody who There's was I talking to the other day? Somebody talked somebody I was talking to the other day was like, you need to get Wilman on. Who was I talking to? When you mentioned JT hitting the high crotch, the the the, the rare but special occasion, I thought of Wilman. I was like, Wilman, he 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 also probably hit the rare high C. Yeah. Yeah. Me and me and Wilman had a special bond as far as uh, wrestling style. So yeah, woman would be good. I'd like to get some stories out of him from the uh, Fila Akron trip on air. That'd be good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, number three, uh, Ryan Bergen. I, I love Ryan Bergen. I looked up to him when he was the first year and I was a plebe. I remember when he got injured in combat. That was impactful on me. Um, and just Honestly, not from a wrestling standpoint, dude was a stud, but he was a great person and a great man. So I'd like to hear from him. Awesome. All of them. We've, uh, I haven't, I haven't talked to a woman about it. I've tried to get, uh, Tom Cook on shots fired. He, uh, was really adamant not to come on the show. Sabo's fired. Uh, get him in here. <laughs> we need to just sabotage. Like I'll get him on. Like I'll just like send him a zoom link and like, he doesn't, he won't know it's an episode. And we'll record like the first 20 seconds before he hangs up and just post it live and just say, Hey, sorry. Are you, are you coming up for the golf thing? Is it next weekend or the weekend after next weekend? Next weekend. I'm not, unfortunately, I got, you could gotta, go dis dismounted and just do live recordings. And instead of streaming, you just go straight like live interview around on a golf cart. 
Oh, you don't want to. You don't want to see it, like there. You shouldn't have footage of Tom. Cook. You don't want TC on a golf course. No, he takes it very seriously, extremely seriously, and he's not good enough to take it as seriously as he does. <laughs> Shots fired. He's not a bad golfer. He's not a bad golfer, but he. It's like he's on the pro tour out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite not, not surprised. <laughs> no surprise. Um, especially when we're playing with like uh nick gist and uh and kevin ward who like shoot in like the mid 70s so yeah they're crazy yeah but appreciate you coming on man we kept it uh, about an hour so it's a pretty good length i know it's a little long for jordan jordan likes to keep him at the sweet spot like 45 50 minutes um but appreciate the the flattering surprise um it's good to get on B-Haw. I know I've been distanced, but love Army Wrestling. Love everything that it stands for. Definitely love everything that it's done for my life in a way that's positively impacted myself, my, my brother, our family, all the great people we've met, you guys, and, and everybody else. So uh, love Army Wrestling. Love B-Haw. Be everybody. Be happy. Life is good. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate you coming on. See you guys. See you guys. Thanks for tuning in to the B-Hall Radio Show. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If there's something you'd like to hear on a future show, reach out to us on any of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can reach us at email, bhaw.radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And as always, go Army, be Navy.